Welcome to Restore Gospel Podcast. Good. I was going to say good morning, but it may not be morning when you're listening. So welcome back. I'm Mike Barrett. Corey Stark. We welcome you back to Restored Gospel Podcast. We are two friends having casual conversation about the things of eternity, and we welcome you into that conversation. And uh, this morning, really, we've had very little prep, and we just we wanted to start recording our conversation on a topic that uh, Corey brought up this morning. Um, based on some conversations he's had with a friend. But uh, we want to talk about, well, Corey, you can tell him the question. What what was restored through the restoration? What was restored? And I don't. we've probably broached this subject at different times, but I don't think we've ever focused on it from that aspect. What's your thoughts? Well, Mike, I've been uh, corresponding with, I don't know, various people over the years, and you know, we get questions and have conversations like you and I do. And and this question came from a friend who um, is just really, really anxious to use his his thoughts, his talents, his gifts to to serve the Lord with with the energy of his heart. and And he said, "So I want to be prepared to understand when I'm talking to people with who who might come from other Christian backgrounds, but not necessarily even Christian, what was restored in." what we call, you know, the fullness of the gospel. What does that mean when we call it fullness of the gospel? And we've been kind of having this conversation, and I thought maybe this might be something the podcast um, would enjoy because I think that, well, for me, I can I can describe it in two ways. There's this idea in the restoration of the distinctives of the restoration, and those are the elements that I think growing up were and have always been the the focus on, well, the fullness is the things that are kind of unique to us, the things that we might bring back to the table. Um, in in studying scriptures, <clears throat> there's there's certain truth to that, but there's some part of it that I think is, is missed. And this podcast, if we take up this conversation, might kind of be a summary of a lot of podcasts in a way. But what I'm realizing is that if we only focus on the things that we believe are distinctive because that sort of proves that we were restored as a church, uh, there's a possibility that we can overlook some other things that are actually really important and part of the fullness, but they might not be a distinctive. And, and there's a difference there. For instance, you know, we could say, well, you know, we believe, you know, we sing songs about prophets are restored again. And we say, okay, well, so we've had prophets in the church. Therefore, that's kind of distinctive because other other Christians don't kind of claim they're led by a, a prophet. And um, where you stand on that in our current situation is really neither here nor there. But but one of the things that is not unique to the restoration is this idea of, of baptism. Because, well, you know, a lot of, a lot of Christian churches teach baptism. But the reasons why baptism is important is something that through the Book of Mormon specifically, we get a lot of clarity on. And it's a subject that we wouldn't say is distinctive, so we don't necessarily promote that. We might say, well, we have authority to baptize, right? And that's something that was given back to the Restoration. But the reason for baptism is even more important than having the authority to do it. And so the the idea is that there's a lot of truth that even might we might think, well, that's just common ground with other Christians, but it's actually not when we consider the foundation that the Book of Mormon gives for it, which makes it, you know, the fullness of the gospel, right? Um, and and so there's there's several topics, and I'm I'm just kind of introducing it by mentioning baptism. Probably more to say on that later, but but this is what I'm realizing is that. No, there's there's words that get thrown out like born again and there's words like the blood of Christ and there's there's a lot of topics that are things of many Christian organizations but the fullness of the gospel describes what they really mean better than anything else and and those are worthy to discuss I think. Yeah. So Corey um many many years ago you started a 
website, and I know you've talked about it before, you said basically it came out of your own need to write a program to allow you to search the scriptures better, but restoredgospel.com has some other things on it besides a scripture search. There's all kinds of articles on there. There's study notes. Um, It's a great resource. I've used some papers and classes that are on there um, in priesthood meetings and, and leading the priesthood. I've been thankful for a lot. There's some things on there in Grace versus Works, and just uh, if you ever have, you know, get bored and you just want to study something, mess around on that website, RestoredGospel.com, and, and look what's there. Or even if you're not bored. Or even if you're not <laughs> bored. <laughs> but uh, what I was getting at, um, you have an article on there that was that talked about this uh, restoration, and I, I know just in talking with you over the last couple of years, you're your thoughts and ideas may have grown and changed if, according to looking back 10, 15, 20 years ago, right, in, in some of these things that you've written. And that's true for, I th- for any seeker, I believe, that, um, that is searching the Scriptures. We continually get more light and truth. And um, I've always wondered about people that write books, and especially early in life, and then I'm sure 20 years later they're like, well, I was wrong on that subject, or boy, I've had a lot more insight into what I thought something meant yeah. early on, and e- each one of us can relate to that. But yeah, but talk I mean, about even, even a few months ago, I yeah. feel like that. <laughs> like, exactly. I was so dumb. Yeah. So, but we have a link to this article, uh, restoration. Let me. I just had it here. We'll pull it up. We'll link it in the show notes. But it's just titled "What Was Restored Through the Restoration." What a great topic, and let's. Let's hang out on this and, and just talk about it because you and I haven't planned this at all. We haven't even uh, we haven't talked about this in this sense. So this will be good. And uh, let's lay some scriptures out, you know, along the way. And if you want to refer to whatever, you yeah, know. yeah. Well, oop, oh, that was a big mess up. up. <laughs> Enjoy some peaceful music. <laughs> I hit a button, a wrong button. That's obviously. all good. I might just leave that in there. Yeah, really. Um, so yeah, everything you just said, Mike, about how we grow in our knowledge and understanding and, um, you know, I, I remember watching in the woods when, uh, a couple times behind our house in the country, you'd see the deer come up and we'd put out a little bit of grain for them. And at night, you know, they'd congregate around this little feeder. And it was always interesting how, you know, you'd see sort of a, a young buck cause he had antlers come in there and and think that he was sort of in control. And then all of a sudden there'd be a bigger buck with a lot bigger antlers. And he just showed up and the little buck took off because he knew it wasn't his domain anymore. And, um, you know, our lives in, in a sense are kind of like that where I think we sort of grow up and then we, we may grow in the spirit or we may grow in our own, but all of a sudden God brings truth in and it's like a whole different, um, whole different situation. And, and so when I, when you mentioned this on uh, restored gospel, you know, I, I've realized this whole page, and I'm, I'm just being transparent here, um, most of it came from classes in, that I taught years ago, and then I just take the topic and turn it into a paper. And, and it really started because um, historically, before everyone was on the internet, before everyone had a cell phone that you get the internet, and I'm going like back to the 1990s or so, um, I was teaching classes in the the people who missed a class, and I, well, I got to back up. I, I generally would like to teach with some sort of a handout, and I and I wanted to have an outline of scripture that people could follow. I I didn't just kind of want to teach off the cuff. So when people would miss a class, I'd always have extra handouts. But if those were handout, they said, "Oh, I missed for two weeks. Do you have the handouts left?" And so what I started doing was I started saying, "Hey, if you can get online, you can find this." And I, it was kind of like this new idea. I was going to put all my notes online. You know, going, going back a long way ago. Dial up, yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And it's like no one can call your home because someone's on the internet, right? It was back in those days. So the whole website really became a a repository. That initially, that's all it was. It was just that's where I put my notes. And then when I created the scripture search for my own benefit. I thought I could put that online and that's kind of when it got popular. But nevertheless, this on the gospel essentials, I realized that my focus was kind of like how we've all been brought up to, to teach or believe that our purpose is to 
is to kind of prove to the world that God restored this church among us. And it's like that in itself is is worthy of news, right? But but I realized that in trying to prove that, there's certain points that can be maybe lost. And I realized that most of my efforts probably in those days were simply aligned with that goal, wanting wanting everyone to know that this church among the Gentiles was the true church. Well, so so a lot of the the documents and things like that kind of support that. And and I think in some cases, you know, you could even say, hey, they're slam dunks because you can't refute this. Here's here's truth and there's nothing else that can really counter it. Well, but the problem is when I read the scriptures I and I read what like Nephi wrote about us in our day and I realized he wasn't out there advertising, hey, these Gentiles are going to be great because they're going to have prophets restored. Or these Gentiles are going to save the day because they have priesthood again. You know, And I realized he didn't say any of the things that we like to advertise about ourselves. And, and when I read that and I realized, well, these are the things that are important to us and these are the things we're advertising. Why? Why isn't it that he wasn't talking about that? You know, as soon as you say that, Corey— um for people in the church, I believe they can have an emotional reaction whenever we mention something like that. And I think that's because it's a check of our heart and our soul because that's where we hang our hat or that's what makes us feel, uh, gives us our meaning and our purpose. Right. We don't want that challenge. We, we don't want to say, but well, we are special. We do have priesthood authority and we do have you know, these things that make us special. We want to share that with other people. But if you really, like you just said, if you really check that with the message of the scriptures, that was never, that was never the forefront message or what was touted. And if, and we need to be bringing out what was brought out previously as important, not the, not those things that we've made important. And I, I just want people to, you know, if that if that rubs someone the wrong way, to just ask yourself why. Why does that make the hair on the back of my neck stand up a little bit? Or why do I get a little prickly when I, when I hear that? Because, well, think about what gives you meaning and purpose. And that's, that's sad, but that's true for all of us in different ways, whether it's our job or whether it's our talents. We can always use those to give us meaning and make us feel special and, and that ultimately, all of those things will fail in our, in our purpose and our meaning, and we're special because God loves us more than anything else in the world. Well, it's, and it's that's, we've it, talked about that, but it's that exactly though, because that's exactly what Jesus said to his disciples. I mean, I, I'm I'm not I'm I, I think he was trying to put these guys in check because here they're rejoicing because the they say hey those evil spirits and diseases are subject to us and he said hey just just be happy that your names are written in heaven right oh but, but, yeah you know, he says this and then and then what's interesting is Jesus and this is telling this is from the Bible so in in Jesus's close circle of the apostles he says you know the way people are going to know you is by how you love other people and it's like he didn't say because hey you are you are restored and you have this uh, great gift and you you can cast out diseases and things like this he said no they're going to know who, that you're mine because of how you treat each other and treat other people you know that's interesting because he didn't also say hey and by this you're going to be able to win every argument you know scriptural argument and doctrinal challenge you know it's like those things came by nature but you know priesthood is is a tool like any other tool, you know. It's 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 great if you want to say, "Hey, I've I've got the I've got the restored you know, whatever tool chainsaw." You know, say say chainsaws are important in the world, and we just say we've got a restored chainsaw. But if you don't use that chainsaw to cut firewood and cut down trees, right? You know, what what good is it just yeah. to say I've got one, right? It's, it's, it's kind of like if you go to the hospital and and you know you've got a, a broken leg. Well, you don't want to just find out. Well, this was the restored hospital and this was the original hospital and here's the Hebrew meaning of the word stethoscope and all this kind of stuff. It's like what you want is the the purpose that a hospital exists for. And it's like to just say, okay, well, we have priesthood restored. It's like, no, let, let's see what the, you know, what is the tool? What is the, what is the product of priesthood, right? What What is the yeah. use of that, right? I, I picture a group of, of people all standing there and you know, those little cartoon bubbles over your head where, uh, you know, if you're reading a comic, it, it's there. So you know what the person's, you know, the person's speaking or whatever. I imagine all everybody's standing together and we have these little cartoon bubbles over our head and, you know, maybe we think like, you know, baptized with authority, baptized with authority, and all this group gets to walk into the kingdom, 
But in reality, those bubbles should be saying, um, loves like Jesus loved, yeah. loves like Jesus loved, or maybe knows they're loved by the Lord right. because that's what changes or, us. Or his heart heart is totally broken you yeah. know, and, contri- and, and so aware and, of their sin. And if those people you know, need to go through the waters of baptism before they go into the kingdom on the other side of the veil, totally fine with me. But but the final judgment is going to be, like you said, they'll know my, they're my disciples because they have love one for another. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. as Brendan Manning said, he, th- he thought God would ask one question at the end, and that was, did you know you were loved by me? Mm-hmm. Did you know that you were loved? Because when we come to know that, that's when our, we are so free to love other people because mm-hmm. we don't get our meaning from any of these other things, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, but, yeah, it's interesting. Well, so, you know, all these things about what was restored through the restoration, like I said, at, at first I think it came from more of a perspective that, you know, it's truth, but it was it was done from uh, intent to try to prove that the church was the the church, and and while that's still true, I, I just realized there's the the list is longer than what we give it credit for, you know. On this originally, and you can find this if you go to the Gospel Essentials page of Restored Gospel. What was restored through the restoration? Um, the the page doesn't have any real formatting or anything. It was kind of one of the early things to put out there, but you know th- this whole plan of salvation and and all these are true. I'm just saying there's there's more though than just this list. You know, first of all, if we say, hey, what was restored through the restoration? What was the fullness? I think we get this full idea of what the whole plan of salvation is, and and we throw out sometimes we say the principles of salvation or some of the major bullet points, but you know, we hear these words, faith and repentance, you know, baptism and enduring to the end. Um, those are important in the, and the book of Mormon expands on that. And beautifully um, that salvation isn't just a, a one-time prayer you offer, you know, a one-time I believe in Jesus and now I'm saved. Uh, but so what it, what this didn't include though is the change of heart, right? I mean, this this is this idea that well, okay, salvation isn't just more this checklist. It's like you were saying, baptized with authority, right? And like, okay, well, I had faith, I repented, I got baptized, you know, and here I'm there. But but what underlies all this plan of salvation is it starts with this. I I don't want to be a sinner anymore. I really, really, really want to change, and I realize the only hope for my change comes from Jesus Christ, right? And and yeah. I don't know that that was taught. I don't know that I emphasized that ever. You know, Corey, a number of years ago, my wife and I were taking a walk, and we started doing. My wife and my son, we would started doing uh, walks every evening. We would walk. Uh, we, we mapped out a 5K or 3.1 miles in the neighborhood. And so we would come home from our work and school and go on this walk. And it, was, it became to be a real special time for our family, special time. Uh, we talked about our day and how work was going and all of that. And we enjoyed it. And there was one stretch of this walk that went um, along the railroad tracks, and there was no sidewalk there. And one day we were walking, and this car came along. And we were over as far as we could get over, you know, walking, facing traffic on the right side of the road. And this car was swerving and coming closer and closer to us to the point that we had to go up the side of this hill. Like they purposely tried to, were going to try to hit us or scare us. Mm. And and, um, I threw my hands up in the air in anger and was like, what are you doing? Well, this car stopped stopped in the middle of the road behind us, and this guy got out and just started swearing and everything, and they pulled their car off the side of the road, and two guys got out, and I thought, they're going to do something to us. And um, and we were back there. There was no, you know, we didn't have our phone with us. This van starts coming down the road, and I flagged them down, and this person was talking on their phone. I was like, I need to call the police because these guys were. So I, she handed me their phone, and I called 911, and um. I, as they realized I was on the phone talking, they got in their car and drove off. And um, we went about our way and went home. Well, needless to say, we quit walking back there for a while. And I don't know if we ever went back. But for the next several days, I was so angry. And this is mm-hmm. the point. I was so angry. And I kept thinking about those guys. And and in my mind, Corey, my wife finally asked me, she goes, you've been really quiet. What's wrong? I said, I keep thinking about those guys. And I said, Kristen, what really bothers me is not what they did, but the fact that I wish that they would just go to hell and get what they deserved Mm -hmm. for what they did, you Mm -hmm. know. And 
And I said, and what bothers me is I wouldn't care. And I know that that's wrong, but I can't change my heart. I can't change it. And so I struggled with this for several days. And, and I finally, I said, you know, if, if, if I ever saw those guys and they came up to me and they said, hey, you know, I was having a bad day. I'm sorry for what I did. I said, I know I would forgive them, mm-hmm. you know, and I'd give them a hug and say, it's all right. Don't worry about it. I said, but that's not what I'm called to do. Mm. What's bothered me is I'm called to love them and pray for them in the state that they are right now, even when they did that to me. And I said, and I can't, Mm. I can't. And it was like, at that moment, I realized that I need a savior because I cannot change my heart from where I'm at. I just can't. And I know I can't go into the kingdom being this way because I'm called to love people like Jesus loved, which means, you know, God forbid I hang on a cross someday and people are mocking me and spitting on me and making fun of me. Uh, I'm called to say, Father, forgive them and mean it with everything in my heart, right? Yes. Not just utter Not the just prayers. Service. Yeah. And so I believe that each one of us, the Lord allows us to have that conflict in our life. And I wish I could say I mastered that, but that comes back around in my life all of the time when wow. people use me and abuse me, right? So we are called to do that. And until we realize how bad we need a savior and need changing and saving from our own heart, from our own self, um, that's really where where change begins. And so, wow, that's such a beautiful example because I mean, you hit the nail on the head. I think for everyone listening, I know me because that's the same thing. It's kind of like no, in in that moment, where is your heart? And that's where I'm. You know, we we struggle continually. To, we return to sin. It's returning to the vomit, right? right. The dog, yeah. And that's the wow. So, so when we are talking about restoration, we uh, there has to be something that was restored that allows that saving or that understanding of a savior or that need for a savior or or something that goes to that rather than the mechanics. Yeah, you know? yeah. And so the beautiful part that the Book of Mormon adds, and again, this I think is is the one of the first answers to what was really restored. What does the fullness mean? It's it's Alma's story. He's telling his son, it's in Alma 17, and I know we talked about this in previous podcasts, but it's worth repeating, where he's relating his experience when he's in rebellion and the angel comes and he's in the coma and he said, I was in the most horrible place. And then he said, and in that horrible place, you know, he's talking about the spiritual world that he entered and he was in torment. He said, I remember my father talking about this name, Jesus, and I called out to him. And he's he's describing this process he goes through on this spiritually, you know, void world that he's in. And he said, and it's when I called out to him, he said, all that torment went away. And, and remember, this is happening to a person who's not, you know, been around G, the name Jesus isn't a household name. It's new to them. It's new to their culture. It's new to their people. And he's, he's demonstrating for us that that's when his change of heart happened when he called out to him. And like you said, to realize I need a savior, that's the most important element of this whole gospel. And it's like, I kind of think in a way we leave that out of our story. It's like, well, get to the check marks here. Well, do you have faith? Yeah. Have, have you repented? Okay. 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 We're having baptismal service. Have you got that? You know, it's like, but to realize I, I need saving from myself, from my sin. That's, that's the most fundamental of all fundamental. And that's yeah. what, that's what Alma demonstrates. That, um, that plan of salvation or, uh, you know, we, We've had so many classes on Hebrews where uh, it talks about because there's one scripture where they list the principles of, yeah. you know, faith, repentance, baptism, laying on the hands. Resur- yeah. And we make posters of that. We hand them to church. Right? We just we went through these classes, but I actually really liked the last time we went through them because we we looked at them from a little different perspective rather than just a number. But but uh, you know, on your on your article, the plan of salvation requires faith, repentance, baptism, but enduring to the end and not just a one-time confession that believes in Jesus. Um, certainly, do you feel like the Book of Mormon um, speaks to that? You know, the evangelicals today will say, believe in Jesus and be saved, or say the sinner's prayer. And, and we've talked about a great number of the evangelicals now are coming out against that easy believism or these, mm-hmm. and say, no, there's, there's, we, we had a podcast, I think, where the guy said, 
you know, hey, sorry I'm late, but I was hit by a semi on the way here, you know, and did anybody <laughs> believe me? No, because, you know, I don't look like I was hit. You know, my life hasn't changed. I'm not tattered and torn and bloody. You know, I'm here in my nice suit and tie. So, no, I don't believe you. Well, he was re- he was he was comparing that to, um, you know, having that change inside, not just a prayer of, oh, I believe in God. So, we have what we call the fullness. What do you see the Book of Mormon adding to um, this thing of not just a one-time confession? Or what was re, you know? What are some things that were restored there? Yeah, so um, that's a really good question. I, I think part of it's answered back in Alma's life. Right. You know, the fact that he was the son of the one who was restoring baptism among the people, uh, at least from the records we have. Um, when they joined up at Zarahemla, you know, Alma Sr. was the one who had been in King Noah's court, and he's the one who baptized out in the waters of Helam, I believe it was, and and he baptized himself, he baptized everyone else. Well, what are the chances, if that's your dad doing that, that you as the son weren't also baptized, right? So, you know, the story we get about being in torment was Alma Jr., the son's story. But what's interesting is this, you know, you ask, what does the Book of Mormon add to it? Um, while Alma Jr. was definitely baptized at some point in time, you know, uh, his dad's the pastor. He's the pastor's son, so to speak. He's going to conform. Alma Jr. never once mentions the day of his baptism ever in his story, even though I'm sure it happened. What he continually comes back to is this change of heart. And he keeps saying, unless this happens to all mankind— we're hopelessly lost. And and I think this is one of the things that's interesting to realize is that, you know, yeah, he was definitely baptized and he never, never describes it to his sons. What he describes to every one of his sons and in all of his sermons is, no, I was a sinner and it wasn't until I called on Jesus and asked for this change of heart that anything <laughs> of the rest of salvation became real. You, excuse me. You just reminded me of something. Um, our listeners I've mentioned before, I love to listen to podcasts. There's one podcast I really like. If you haven't heard of this guy, Andrew Osenga, he's a musician from Nashville. He plays with Andrew Peterson a lot. Uh, he has started a podcast called The Pivot, and it's and it's really neat because it's all about people who have had a huge um, experience in life, whether it be bad or good, where their whole life shifts direction or they have to – he's had musicians on that have hung up their musical – talents and gone in different directions later in life. And he just talks about that moment, that pivot, that shift. That all being Mm. said, this past week, I listened to one with an artist named Ron Block. He is an incredible banjo player, um, bluegrass player. And he shared his life story where he started out and he ended up getting 10 Grammys or so. He played with Alison Krauss and, um, you know, very famous bluegrass crossed over to country folk singer. Um, he shared he's a Christian, though, and he plays with Andrew Peterson on Behold the Lamb of God tour every year. He said something this week. I'll put a link to it in our show. We People need listen to this. This is incredible because he showed how his faith in Christ influenced his music and how his music influenced his faith in Christ. But he got to one point that just stuck with me, and he said, he said, Andrew, in my life I realized that um, this gospel of Jesus Christ has to change me. And if it's just a matter of me coming to God and say, I'm sorry and receiving forgiveness, receiving forgiveness, he said, I don't want that forgiveness if my life is not going to change because of the gospel. Mm, wow. I don't want that. It's no good to me. Like, I don't, I don't care about being forgiven. I want my life to change. I want to be changed by this gospel mm. or I don't even care about that. That's not important. And that is... That's capturing the essence. Yes, that's incredible. And and he showed how his faith in Christ and how belief um, changes a person, what you believe. And he showed how, like, growing up, his parents were like, oh, we don't want you to be a musician, you know. He said, that put a thought in my mind that I'm never going to be good enough. And then recording in the studio, this perfectionism set in, and he thought, oh, I'm not good enough. Look how many times I had to do this track. And he said, when I started believing that, it drove me down, but he realized that he had to exercise this principle in his musical abilities. He says, if I walk out on a stage and think, I don't belong here, I'm not good enough to be playing with these people, but if I walk out and say, the Lord's given me this talent, he's allowing me to make a living, I have exercised 
my talent. I have spent thousands of hours. I'm here because of what God has done to me. I have confidence in him, not in me, not in a prideful way. So they go hand in hand. But that was, man, for someone to say that, that is the sermon <laughs> that we need to hear every Sunday. If this isn't changing my life, I don't need the forgiveness every day because I keep faltering. I need to be changed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and isn't it amazing just what you said that when you look at some of the examples where we have details of people's lives like Paul or Alma or others in the Scripture, you know, what they what they come back to is this great, you know, momentous change in their life when it happened. You know, Paul has this experience that he tells, hey, I was I was blinded and, you know, God spoke to me and I heard this. And it's like, you know, he takes someone who's totally vile and working against his plan to be in one of the point men for it now. And, you know, it's it's this change. And, and again, this is the thing that if that change is something that we declare, just, just like you, you mentioned the bluegrass player, we we can't be we can't be knocked off of that. And and here's in our generation, this is just kind of my opinion from observation, is that I've just seen and known personally a lot of people who came into the church, you know, involved in cottage meetings where it's like we, we were given like um the the go ye and teach uh, method of of showing people, hey, this is how you know the church has reached sword and, and join this church. Well that that works pretty well. I mean, it, it, it gives a lot of irrefutable arguments, but the, the problem is for a lot of people who came in, in our generation to seeing, Hey, this is the church restored. When, when the church just seemed topsy turvy and everything was going in in every direction, they're like, well, I thought this was the restored church. And if that was the only thing without a change of heart, I'm like, you know, that's, that's like being the ship, you know, on the waves of the sea tossed around. What we've got to realize is that God gave us consolation, and this is part of the fullness of the gospel, to tell what was going to unfold in the last days regarding his church, why we don't need to be concerned. But whether we were given that part of the story isn't really the point. The point is that in any generation, in any time, the point is that I've been I've been changed or I've desired this change and I don't want to go back. And I know the truth is in the word, whether I see it in the people around me, I know the truth is in this word and the truth is in his promises. And if I continually come to him and and recognize my unworthiness before him and in his power and his love, that that's going to sustain me through my whole life. But without that change, it's just like, well, I did this checklist and I joined this church that was supposedly the right church. And now it's not really evident the way it was 30, 40, 50 years ago or whatever. And now what? It's like, if we're asking those questions, we got to come back to the original question. No, was your heart changed? Did your heart come to Jesus? Did you have that pivot? Yeah. What, what um, causes us to lose more believers more of our young people, more of our uh, members than to read a story about this great thing that happens and yet to never witness this great thing happening. <laughs> yeah, exactly. To not be able to really point around and say, okay, here it's still in effect. It's still. still yeah. And, and so we look at, we look at the standard in the scriptures, but we never, we, if we don't see the product, then it begins to, you either begin to lose faith in the standard or the process or um, or you look elsewhere for something because what you see around you and what you've experienced growing up isn't working. Mm-hmm. So, Corey, how would you change? So I read this statement on uh, what was restored through the restoration. Point number one, the plan of salvation requires faith, repentance, baptism, enduring to the end, not just a one-time confession that, that one believes in Jesus. And, and we'll, we'll go more in depth later, but what would, what would, would your um, – would your statement change yeah, now to yeah, the plan of salvation? Would yeah, be what? It would be it, that I've been changed. Yeah, the change of heart is required by all. This is Alma's famous words when he comes out of the coma. He says, hey, marvel not that all mankind must be born again. This is Jesus' words to Nicodemus when this you know very, very intelligent chief of the Pharisees comes to him by night and says, hey, tell me what I need to know. And he says, unless you're born of the Spirit, you know, you, you can't enter yeah. the kingdom of heaven. So. That's, that's what he's saying. Unless you're changed by the Spirit, that's where it starts. And I tell you what, I don't know that growing up, and even in my adult life, I ever witnessed any sermons within the restoration saying, unless your heart changes, all this doesn't matter. Yeah. we. 
I, maybe it's easier to focus on the process and make the process yeah. your golden ox or your golden calf. Yeah, than, and more, and and not to pick on Mormons, you know, the LDS faith, because we're I think we, we we're all in the same boat here, really. But in the end, there are some people who take that process and even refine it even more, and then mm-hmm. you know start adding a lot of things to it. And that's where we got to come back to Jesus said, "Hey, anything more or less than this isn't right." Right. Yeah. Well. Let's let's move on to the the second point here, the reconciliation of grace and works. I saw something on Facebook just this week. I don't know if there's been an argument going around again. I'm glad I missed that one if there was, but <laughs> but uh one of our sisters posted uh, uh a series of classes put out by a brother in the church that you could go and reference on works and grace and what it means. And Corey, you've done a great study on this. We we did three or four episodes on the law of Moses or, or mm-hmm. what those scriptures actually mean, what they were referencing when they were talking about works, that it was all about the works of the law, not not the law of loving one another as Jesus loved us. The law of Moses is what they're talking about in the New Testament. And right. I think one thing we parsed out or one thing that became apparent to me was the Bible, the New Testament, is talking to the hard-hearted people that were left, right? Yeah. Because God uh, gave opportunity for the righteous to be led away into a new country. And that's why the the Book of Mormon, Old and New Testaments, are so much more focused on Jesus because those are people whose hearts were able to receive that, whereas the people left in Jerusalem that were taken to captivity and brought back and have suffered all of these years— had a little different message that needed to go to them. Mm-hmm. And they were continuing, you know, in the Book of Mormon at the same time, people already knew the law of Moses was pointing to Christ. But over here in the, in the, across the waters, right, in Israel, even after Jesus came and left, they couldn't get rid of the law of Moses. And exactly. so the, all of this talk in the New Testament is saying, you're not saved by the law of Moses, you're saved by Christ. He's already come and died, and we bear testimony of this man. Mm-hmm. This is what saves you, you know, his blood, his dying, his sacrifice, one and only, once and forever. And so this grace and works, though, has been a burden to the Christians, a misunderstanding, a source of contention throughout the years. Speak to this here. What? What are you saying here about the reconciliation of grace and works? Well, this is something where, you know, I, I still feel, and even the way this is written, I, I think I, I I think this is fundamental. I don't, our, our people need to be more informed about this. I guess I'll put it this way because while we, we kind of treat grace as, oh, that's one of those evangelical words like the blood of Jesus. You know, we don't talk about that. <laughs> we don't talk about salvation by grace because we think there's more to it. Because if we say we're saved by grace, that leans too much by a sinner's prayer. And here's the problem. That that whole line, that premise, it, it misses the point. But the, the idea that we're saved by our works, that whole line misses the point too. The truth is taking the whole of this and realizing it's it's all one, and and that speaks more to the real issue of grace and works altogether. So what I mean by that is, um, you know, we we talked about it on a recent podcast. You know, when the scriptures say, "Oh, the Lord is one God," and all Christians take arms up against each other and divide because we're trying to define English words of Hebrew meaning. The Hebrew meaning wasn't one as an entity. The Hebrew meaning was one in unity. This idea that God works in unity was the idea that the Hebrews understood when they read this. Well, the idea of grace and works is parallel to this, and it's it's a unity thing that our works are not the reason why we have salvation. Our works are not the reason why Jesus came. The the reason Jesus came was out of his love for us. He said, hey, I, I loved you before you loved me. Titus explains this very, very well, that you know, grace appeared in in that it was God's plan from the beginning to have a way for mankind to bring bring us back to Him. But where our works come in, and this is where people in the restoration have, I think, um, emphasized this because of our misunderstanding of section seventy six that somehow our works are going to classify us in a way that make us, okay, well, I'm going to be here for eternity and Mike, I'll send you letters, you know, and then <laughs> pray for me, you know, and, and then maybe you can minister to me because you'll be in a better place than me. That's a misconception that we have that all of our works 
Isaiah writes are as filthy rags. And in fact, he's even more descriptive about that. You know, he talks about uh, uh, something specifically that uh, women would discard. I won't go there. But the point being, our, our works are not the thing that's going to classify us. Our works are simply evidence of this change of heart. And our people have have missed that in that because we think the grace topic is too... Oh, it's it's too. I don't Easy. know. It may be pamby, right? That we Easy. we have to say no. Your your life, you, the things you do, you're going to be judged by it. Well, that's very true. We're going to be judged by it. But but what that judgment gives is either you're on the right hand of God or you're on the left hand of God. And we've missed that point to where now the 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 works are the thing that separate us on the right hand of God. Then there's fifty thousand classifications, right? No, that's not what the Book of Mormon teaches. That's not what the fun the fullness teaches. It's like you were saying. It teaches that unless we have a Savior, our sin can't be removed. His job is to be able and can fully mighty to save, remove all of our sin. And if all of our sin is removed, we stand on the right hand of God. How our sin gets removed though, is there will be a judgment and it comes back to this. Did our works prove that our heart was changed? That's ultimately all it is. It's like, did your works prove your heart was changed? If your heart was changed, you know, we can't fool God. Um, uh, I, I heard an interesting, I actually watched this video, uh, a rabbi who's um, pretty famous on the uh, internet told a story I'd never heard before. Um, and it, I, I, it's, I don't want to go long on this, but it, it's interesting because when the hostage crisis happened back in the days when, you know, before Ronald Reagan came in in the, in the 70s, there were some ministers allowed to go preach and teach and share with these hostages to bring them some spiritual comfort. Two of them were Christian ministers, but because there were a couple Jewish rabbi or Jewish hostages, a rabbi went. And the the reason for that, I share this story, it's interesting. It's kind of a little side note here, but this is when Khomeini, the, you remember that name came into Ayatollah power. Khomeini, Khomeini, right. Yeah. He came into power. He had all of these to show, try to goodwill to the world. He had, he paraded these these visiting ministers and all this and this rabbi in front of a million probably people who gathered outside the palace in Tehran. And of course, being in the Muslim population, it was time for prayer. And at the time for prayer, of course, a million people bowed because it was expected of them, including the Christian ministers. Everyone, there was one person standing, and it was the Jewish rabbi. He didn't pray. And and Khomeini then sent his guards and said, hey, go find out why he didn't bow down. This is almost like the story in Daniel. Well, the the rabbi comes, and he's taken to meet face-to-face with Khomeini, and he says, why didn't you bow down when everyone else bowed down? And he said, he answered honestly. He said, for one, he said, I'm I'm Jewish. He said, uh, I'm I don't believe I can bow down to anyone who's not this God, Jehovah, that I, that I worship. And he said, plus, I don't speak your language. I don't understand the prayers. I don't know what's being said. I can't pray if I don't know what's also being said because it has to be in harmony with my soul. You know what? And this is recorded. Khomeini says to this guy, I admire you because... Um, you somehow didn't take me for a fool. He said, I knew that if you bowed like those, even those Christian men, that you were just trying to, you know, be complicit and, and just try to um, uh, pacify me or, um, you know, I'm searching for the right word or, right. you know, like, and he said, and I realized that you are a man of integrity for doing this. And he ends up inviting this guy to spend a whole day with him. And he tells him all about the Torah and their commonalities. And it's like this really amazing dialogue. And this is all recorded. Well, the, the reason I share this is, is all because, because this Khomeini guy looks at this Jew who is supposedly their enemies, and he says, I respect the fact that you are being honest with me. And I realize that in this situation, it's this times a million. When we stand before God, we have no idea how penetrating it's going to be. And we have to be able, we're going to know, we're going to know the truth if our heart was changed or not. We're going to know, and we can't lie to God. We can just like, and I admire this rabbi for not wanting to lie to even his enemy in this situation, or just try to do something that was going to save him because there's no way around it. In the end, our works are going to be that obvious and that transparent that we're going to be able to stand on them, or we're not going to be able to stand on them. But in the end, God is going to know our heart, and and like just like. 
Khomeini admired this guy because he said, I could see your heart. I can see your heart in this. And and God's looking at our heart and our integrity in this. And that's what's going to separate us. Did we have integrity towards him or did we not? What, what um, in the Book of Mormon, what do you, or in the Restoration, is there any specific scriptures that come to your mind that talk about... Um, a better knowledge of this grace and works. I was thinking of one that says, talks about the blood of Christ uh, saving us, but it says, but only those that have a broken heart in a contrite spirit does this blood save you. And that was a, a terrible, probably paraphrase, but I want, I want us to just think about how plainly, how plainly, how very plain and simple that points that out. So each one of us can't deny the fact that right there, written in the Word, it says, look, either your heart is is changed and you are humble and you are broken and you um, come before me in that manner, you know, or that's the only way my blood saves you. You know, it's not Jesus died on a cross and for me and I'm saved. That's only half of it. It's, yes, he died on a cross his blood is the sacrifice for all eternity, but you only are covered in that blood if, and then it gives us a very clear picture. I mean, is there... You you, you shared that. You, you referenced the scripture without naming it by name, the exact one that came to mind when you asked that question. And I, I would share the same one. It's, uh, I think the one you might refer to is uh, from the RLDS, 2 Nephi chapter 1, verse 72. Behold... He offereth himself a sacrifice for sin to answer the ends of the law unto all those who have a broken heart and a contrite spirit, and unto none else can the ends of the law be answered. Now, where else in Scripture can you think of that being tied together so plainly? Exactly. So when we talk about what was restored in the restoration, well, here's a here's a Scripture that you shouldn't just gloss over. I mean— that's as powerful to me as, you know, the Christians holding up John three sixteen at a football game. <laughs> we should be holding up second Nephi. what was it? First Nephi Second Nephi chapter one verse seventy two. Yeah. Second yeah. Nephi one seventy two is what we should see in the end zone because <laughs> it's not just God gave his his, his, know, his son, son because he loved the world. It's he gave his son and for only for those who are broken and contrite. Amen. That's the rest of the story. So there's a great example of restoration. I love, Corey, that I can uh, blunder through a scripture and, you know, in seconds <laughs> you've actually cleared up what exactly it says. Um, but here's another one. I'll let you, I know you'll find this one. It says, people use this one to turn away the Book of Mormon. And after all you can do, you are saved by by his grace. Um, and I know you know the scripture. Um, and as you're finding that, I, I would say this, you know, they, the evangelicals minister to the Mormons using this scripture saying, look, you guys are saying it's all about your works, and then you're saved by grace. We say grace comes first. But I say this scripture is reinforcing exactly what the evangelicals are, are twisting it as. It's actually the opposite. It's saying, look, you can do all that you can do. You can do all of these things, but in the end— you're saved by grace, even after everything that you do. It's the grace of God that saves you. So I think it makes very clearly the point that the that the main Christian world says doesn't it doesn't make. Right. I think they've twisted it opposite, but it's really saying exactly what it says. No. Your works don't matter. It's in the end, it's because of the grace after of God. After all you can do, what you're really saved by is by grace. Right. The grace of God. But but we know that it you know, we have this restored knowledge that it's only for those who have become broken and contrite. So, you that, know, I was I was just going to say that again, Mike, you just you just kind of distill this down to the essence. And it's it's I just love how you state this. Um, and, and I said something just kind of adding on to this that I want to clarify real quick before we go too far, because I said and then and your works don't matter. The point of the restoration is your works do matter because your works have to be the result of this change of heart now that you seek the works of Christ. And, and Jesus commanded this. It's kind of like the, the argument came up because 
you know, Martin Luther brought up this, oh, you know, Catholicism was so much about your works and this is, you know, all about what you're doing and nothing about the mercy of Christ that the pendulum swung in the other direction and now it's all about Christ. So even things like baptism become feared as a work that, oh, if I say I have to be baptized, now I'm saying it's a work. So, so what's happened in the evangelical world in some areas, not everyone, is that it totally becomes this, we can't associate any work you do. It just has to be, say this and you're done because that distills it in their thinking down to the essence of what salvation is. Just say you believe in Jesus because that's what faith means, right? right? And that was total misunderstanding. What brings it back to center is exactly like you said, these scriptures about, no, our works do matter. We are going to be judged by them, but the judgment isn't the classification of eternity. The judgment is, hey, was your heart broken and contrite? And like this scripture states, it puts it in balance. He came to sacrifice for those who are broken and contrite, but none else can the ends of the law be answered. And those two words, none else, they're used again in Alma, Excuse me, Alma uh, 896. He shall come into the world to redeem his people, and he shall take upon him the transgression of those who believe in his name. Okay, that's John 316 right there. For God so loved the world, he sent his only begotten son, right? It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's saying it in the same way. But notice Alma 896 concludes with these words. I'm going to read it all again. He shall come into the world to redeem his people, and he shall take upon him the transgressions of those who believe on his name. And these are they that shall have eternal life, and salvation cometh to none else. So so again, this whole idea that, you know, the belief, this just like John 16, those who believe has to be coupled with a firmness and a steadiness and a repentance. It's not just a, a belief in our in our lives. So here, you know, we look at these scriptures and we tie it all together. And the Book of Mormon perfectly paints the picture that the world argues over today. You know, right. grace on one side, works on the other. No, it's it's applying it to those who are broken and contrite. And then and then the mercy takes place. Yeah, and I have so many thoughts in my mind. It, it doesn't contradict the Bible. I mean, you could take that word in John three sixteen, whosoever believeth on him, and then parse that or, you know, break that down into, well, what does that mean to believe? It's it's doing all of these things, obeying, submitting, you know, giving. We've talked about that. There's so, but the Book of Mormon spells out a little bit more very clearly what's required of us. I, I wanted to just quickly say, when we talk about works, we say we're judged by our works. On one hand, we could be referring to, um, you know, faith, repentance, baptize. Some of the some of the main Christians don't have done away with baptism because they see that as a, a work, something you do to be saved. Right. But it's not. It's an obedience to Christ. Um, it's kind of like the difference between, you know, two people can say they, they live together, but they can't claim they're married. Marriage is the covenant you make at the altar, right? Yeah. And and that's what baptism is as well. It's it's your part of the agreement saying you physically demonstrate something of the spiritual. But the work, but works, when we say works, you and I have all kinds of things that come into our mind completely different. It could be as much as, you know, bringing a loaf of bread to your neighbor, you know, that needs something or giving money to a friend that needs something that can be at work or it can be obeying the law. There's just so many things. And then in the scriptures, as we said, it's often referring to specifically the law of Moses when they're making points in the New Testament. But all of these things to be said, when you when it comes down to the judgment, it's not a judgment of how many you did on one hand compared to the other. It's a judgment of I either know I'm clean standing before the Lord and I rejoice in that cleanness or I know that I am dirty and filthy still and I'm judged by that and I don't want to be in the face of righteousness because I'm so uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. It's a judgment of where your heart's at. That's the judgment at the end. So, Just like the thief on the cross mm-hmm. who, who's, you know, we, we don't know his life before then. We just know that. In, and, I'm, and this isn't, I think some people falsely say that was a deathbed repentance. No, it's not advocating deathbed repentance. We don't know that this guy didn't believe in Jesus for a long time before. But the point is, 
he knew in this mortal life that this guy was the savior, you know, right. regardless of his sin. He knew. Uh, and the and the other guy on the cross is the rest of humanity who's like looking to Jesus only for some, you know, temporal benefit. Yeah. Get me yeah. off this cross if you can. You know, uh, it might be worth, uh, I, did you have something else you wanted to say about that, Mike? No, I was just getting ready to wrap up. We, we'll, uh, we'll have to carry this on in another episode. Um, I hope we always, re- we're, we're circling back to what was restored. I think we've, we've made a couple of points today, the plan of salvation and, you know, restoration of, of, uh, what it means to, to be changed in that grace versus works thing. But, yeah. Um, so there's a little more on this topic. Maybe we'll just save it for the next well, episode. I think mercy and justice ties into this. And I know we've definitely we've gone deep into that, but maybe just, uh, yeah. 30,000 foot view. Yeah. On those things that are restored. I've always liked this topic and wondered what is the fullness of the gospel? I think we've touched on, uh, a couple of those things this morning. Well, so we'll probably touch on this again in the next episode, but the, the thing I would like anyone listening, if you've got, a little more curiosity is uh, read the context of Second Nephi chapter one, maybe verses uh, sixty-seven through seventy-seven, about ten verses there, and and what you get there is a beautiful demonstration of the law of Moses that they're still living under, and how that doesn't justify you. That wasn't what brought people back into the presence, and what it states is redemption comes in and through the Holy Messiah was full of grace and truth. It, it only comes through him. It puts all this in such proper perspective that the teaching tools of the works of the law were just that. They were teaching tools. But it all points to him, and it always has. And then he finally concludes and says, how great the importance to make these things known unto the inhabitants of the earth. Mm-hmm. And, and this is the purpose of the restoration, to make these things known. To make these things known, yeah. what I'm telling you. That- yeah, and, and it, this is what he says, and he summarizes it so beautifully, that they may know that there is no flesh that can dwell in the presence of God, save it be through the merits and mercy and grace of the Holy Messiah. Amen. Isn't that just beautiful? I mean, that is uh, why. Why do the evangelicals have anything over us when we have this scripture right here? I mean, this is the this is the the home run. This is the slam dunk right here. If that was the message that that if we were truly making these things known to the inhabitants of the earth, yes. these things, I don't know that the evangelicals would be so. Uh, Quick to try to to put us down. It's they're doing it based on all of our other things we've added in and and made our uh, golden calf or whatever that we've made our uh, prominent talking points rather than the merits of Jesus Christ. <laughs> exactly, and it's like how important to make this known. And so, my gosh, Mike, I, I just realized that in in my years and in, in studying these things. I didn't realize this was the point, mm-hmm. you know, it was mm-hmm. always just trying to prove, Hey, we got a prophet. We were, we're the priesthood. No, to make this known that no flesh can dwell in his presence, except it's through the merits and mercy and grace of the Messiah. Well, there's another, there's another sign for the end zone, you know, for yeah. the, for the ESPN to pick up when they're showing that. I don't even know if they show John. I don't think anybody <laughs> does John three sixteen anymore. I don't know, but, but that's the calling sign. I mean, another perfect summary of what it means to be a Christian right mm-hmm. there. Yeah. Amen. Well, we will, uh, we'll pick up here next time. Um, I wanted to circle back, Corey, you were talking about your house, you, that house you were talking about where the buck, you know, would, yeah. and the deers. I remember, um, I remember you were so kind to me at a, a period in my life where, um, oh, I, uh, I was having some dark days. You invited me out to that house. What I remember, uh, what I really remember about that house was uh, you had, uh, your son was young at the time. I think you called him Jojo. Mm. And he looked like a little monkey. And I was at your house and he, he went to the door frame and put his hands in his feet and he went boop, 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 and just climbed all the way up to the top. Scaled it. Yeah, scaled it. And then just jumped down with a big grin. And I thought, that was so cool. Yeah. But you, something else you told me in that you had a backyard there in a special place. You went under the stars to yeah. to talk to the Lord, kind of yeah. out in the country more. Yeah, yeah, that was my favorite part about living there. Yeah. Well, while we're all holed up in this quarantine, um, it's a good time to remember, find a place that you can go and be with the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of time to be alone with him now. You know, um, that would be hopefully something 
that we could take advantage of during these times. Yep, yep. And even though we're apart, just keep walking each other home. Keep walking each other home. Amen. Amen.